everything that we have need of, you have already supplied, O oh God, according to your riches and glory. We magnify your name here today. We ask that you would take the burdens off of your children's shoulders. We pray, God, today that you would minister through the anointing of your word, that we would receive it today as you have prepared it in my heart. God, hide me behind the cross of Calvary today, that I may just be a vessel that is protruding, God, your will and your word to your people. God, there's nothing more important right now, nothing outside of this room that is important as you addressing your people. Let us have a heart and a mind to not only worship, but to receive from heaven. And God, give us today deliverance over the things in our lives that held us captive for far too long. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Go ahead and give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am going to continue my series this morning that I have been preaching for quite some time. This is the ninth installment of a series that I've been preaching entitled, I'm Better Than This. And this happens to be wherever I am at the moment. I've come a long way from when the Lord first found me, when I first surrendered my life to Him. I've come a long way, but... Can I say in your hearing today that if the Lord tarries, I've still got a long way to go. And sometimes I don't think I'm as far behind as I am, but then when adversity and trials and problems arise in my life, I realize that I'm not as far as advanced as I'd like to believe I am sometimes. I've got, I've got proclivities and things that are hidden down on the inside of me that don't always come out, and I feel like I have victory over stuff until I'm put in the right situation. Now, let me just testify, because I know all of you are so holy, you came right out of the womb speaking in tongues, but for me, I battle with some stuff. There are some, there are some things in my life that I feel like by now, in this journey, I should have had victory over already, but every once in a while, it don't happen every day, it doesn't happen every minute of every day, it doesn't even happen often enough to where I feel like it's a problem. However, there are issues inside of me. That every once in a while, I think are long gone, and I realize they're still down in there kicking around somewhere. I'm going to talk about that today because I don't believe I'm the only one that goes through this. I don't believe that I'm the only one that by now you should have been over this thing, but this thing happens to still be alive in your life. And it's not alive enough to where you're praying and fasting and asking God to deliver you from it because you think it's gone but puts you in the right position and you will revert back to your old thinking, your own style, your, own, uh, your old way of handling things and then you'll realize it's still there. But I'm better than this. I'm better than where I've been and I happen to be better than where I'm at. I'm going to take my text this morning out of Ephesians chapter 4. Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to begin tonight or today by giving you some very hard facts. The last several weeks I've been dealing with issues that in the church we tend to just overlook. We got some nice sins in the church. 
We got some problems that we don't like to call out because most of us deal with it. I grew up in the old church where everything was a sin. I mean, you couldn't chew chewing gum because they had chewing gum in the bars. And we had to come out from among them and be ye separated. I mean, I came up in the old church where all the women had all the long hair and they had it all up in the buns. And when they shouted around the altars, them, them bobby pins would shoot out like missiles. And I, I, I grew up in the old church where you weren't allowed to do anything because everything was a sin. But now we've seen the pendulum swing the other direction where now we're not allowed to call anything sin. Preachers address sin from the pulpit, half the church backslides and withholds their ties and quits and goes across the street where that preacher is not willing to tell them that anything is sin. Come on, church. Somebody testify. We've gotten so far the other direction where now if anybody tries to speak into your life in a father or a motherly-like role, you get mad at them, shut them out because Matthew 7 and 1 has replaced John 3.16 as the most quoted scripture in the world. Don't judge me. And this is where we're at in the world, where we came from the extreme of everything's a sin. All you worldly women in this church with them pants on. Everything was a sin. Now we've swung the other way where we can't even address sin without being called legalistic and bigots. And now we've got all kinds of issues in between. And the church is no more delivered than the world is because we're not allowed to talk about anything. And while we may have quit drinking and we may have quit bar hopping and we may have quit uh, cussing and we may have quit doing the outside things, there's a lot of inside stuff that we have just considered acceptable in the church and we don't deal with it anymore. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, beginning with verse 17, with the Lord's authority I say this. I like that. That's why I started right here. Paul and me are coming to you with the Lord's authority. This is not enticing words of man's wisdom, but of but power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. What Paul's saying is, how about you just act saved? How about you just start acting like you got some Jesus in you? For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. Verse 19 says, They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. You say you love Jesus, won't you act like it? Verse 21, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. I'm going to step right out here for just a second and show you. I want you to read that. I want you to underline it in your Bible. Because all we've ever preached about in the church is lust. And you feel like if you get delivered from lust, devil, you ain't got no problem. But read the rest of that scripture. Because many of us sit here this morning deceived. You may not be following after lust, but you've got your minds made up that you are living right. But you are deceived. Y'all ain't going to help me this morning, are you? You got your mind made up that you are on the right and holy path. But be careful. Be careful when you think you stand. Take heed lest you fall. 
Because many of us sit here and I stand here. Listen, I'm going to jump in the boat with you. I stand here telling you I have been and may be again deceived. It's easier than you think it is. You may not be lust-filled, but many of us sit here today, watch by live stream, deceived. And that's what Paul is warning us against. Corrupted by lust and deception. Verse 23, instead, let the Spirit renew two things. Your thoughts, and that's not enough for you to change your mind. You got to live like, act like you changed your mind. So let the Spirit renew your thought life, and then that should show up in your attitudes. Oh, I'm going to preach this morning. If I get no help in this building at all, me and the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of none of you. Because many of us think, well, I, I believe that. You don't believe nothing that you don't live by. You can't tell me you believe in tithing when you don't do it. You can't, believe, you can't tell me you believe in treating your neighbor right when you ain't spoke to them in six years because they let their grass get out of control one time. You can't, believe, you can't tell me you love the Lord and you don't even show up at his house. Come on, church. You, can't, you don't believe nothing that you don't live by. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, don't tell me that your mind's made up and let it stop there. It should show up in your attitude. I'll show you in a minute how that works. Verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Oh, nobody preaches this stuff no more. Oh, this is awful limits. This is taboo in the house of God now, talking about righteous and holy living. I grew up where that was every sermon. And we had a whole lot of people that dressed like it and looked like it. You know, they had their sleeves down to here and their dress hems down to here, but their tongues was out to here and it was forked on the end. And every Sunday, they had roast preacher for dinner, but they dressed holy and they looked like the part, but down inside them. And as a young Christian, I looked at that and said, that's hypocritical. And I was confused because I loved Jesus and I thought everybody else did too. And I realized that you can look like something on the outside, but the heart be like whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. And I did not know that everybody that came to church didn't love Jesus. I didn't know that some folks just came to church because they know that church is where saved folks are supposed to show up on Sunday. But they're not there for the same reason I was there. I was there to connect with God because I was still out in the world and still had to work Monday through Saturday out in the world. And I needed some Jesus on Sunday just to help me get through the rest of the week. And when I came in, I threw all that to the side, threw my hands up in the air and just praised the Lord like I had lost my ever-loving mind because I needed to get as full of the Holy Spirit as I could to go back out and battle the demons that I still had to fight. And I didn't realize that a lot of folks that had been in the way for a long time had stuff inside of them that was ugly. I wanted to be like them until I saw what they looked like. I wanted to be like them because they were my heroes until I got to see that they looked like something that they didn't act like. Now, I want you to, before we begin this morning, I want you to get in the mindset that God doesn't think about you the way you think about you. God has high thoughts about you. However, how he's going to get you to your expected end is not always how you want to get there. I wish God used the path that I wanted him to take because the path I want to take has one with like money trees. 
You know, the path I want to get to my destiny, my knees don't hurt from arthritis no more. I don't have any more. Uh, my kids are all saved and full of the Holy Ghost, and one of them's the president, and one of them cured cancer. Come on now. I mean, that's the path I want to take. But God doesn't use those tools. You know what God uses? Affliction. Hard times. Trouble. Conflict. Pain. Those are the things God uses to get me where he wants me to go. The number one way that God changes our hearts and transforms the darkness that is in our character is when we are brave enough to realize, I am not perfect. I am flawed, I have faults, I face hurts, I have challenges, and guess what? Even as a pastor, I got character flaws. And he uses these situations to bring stuff to the surface, not because he wants you to have egg on your face and he wants to shame you publicly, because he wants you to deal with them. That's what the preacher's mandate is this morning. I hope you love me because I'm about to take you on a journey that is going to be real uncomfortable. Now, I'm going to give you a word of advice. If you're here with a loved one, if you're here with somebody that you know real well, keep your eyes focused on me because I'm about to run down a long list of things that some folks need to work on, and I don't want you doing this. Are you hearing him? Pay it. I don't want you to do that. I'm trying to keep you out of the doghouse, okay? Keep your eyes focused on me. It's natural for you and I to try to hide from pain. It's natural in 2021 for us to blame other folks for our pain. However, healing only comes when we accept our responsibility to do three things. We need to trace it, we need to face it, and we need to replace it. You need to trace why it's there. You need to face that it's real, and you need to replace it with something that is better. Amen. Faulty structures and habits that you have developed are carnal, and that's what Paul was telling the church at Ephesus, and that's what I'm telling you today. Most of the things that you have learned up to this point, up to the time that you started following his word, was wrong. He says, stop walking like the Gentiles, because that's, that has got you this far, which was lost. Now I want you to replace. He said, you have not so learned Christ. You have not learned this by following Jesus. You learn this by following the flesh. So I'm going to try to show you some things this morning, and it's a long list. Uh, it, 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 like the scripture in the Bible says, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Oh, that's not Bible. That's Jerry Reed. I'm sorry. It doesn't change the fact that we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. And I want you to understand this morning that he brings stuff to the surface because he wants you to deal with it. So before you leave here this morning, I pray that one of these things hits every one of you. Many new Christians try to adjust how they live. I, I grew up in the old church. You look around this room, you don't see a whole lot of folks in suit and ties and women with long dresses, but that's the church I grew up in. You know, I carried that mandate for a long time. I never got in a pulpit without a suit and tie on. And I realized I'm the only brother in the whole church with a suit and tie on. I did not represent the people that I was preaching to. So I stopped doing that. I, I still dress modestly. Because that's the only thing the Bible ever tells us about dress, is to dress modestly. So I still dress modestly, but I, I want to represent the people that I'm ministering to. We're, we're in this together. Somebody say Amen. I don't, I don't need to be up here in a flashy suit and tie and you sitting there in blue jeans and we don't look like we fit in the same category. 
Okay, so, so the, the reason that I bring that up is because when Christians first get into church and give their lives to the Lord, they try to adjust their life to fit a mold that may or may not be what God wants for them. Because what we try to do is we adjust our dysfunction so we appear to be more Christian. But Christianity is not about adjusting dysfunction. Christianity is about a transformed life. It is a change. Christianity is when Jesus died so you can have, hear this, victory over what used to hold you captive. And when you're victorious, you're not waking up every day fighting to stay. You're waking up every day in a place of victory because of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about in our minds, our belief structures, our mindsets, our assumptions. We have to be renewed and we have to be changed. True Christian victory is not an absence of pain. True Christian victory is that I have victory even when I feel pain. Even when I despise pain. Your, victory, your desire to change has to be greater than your comfort to stay the same. If you don't desire change, you will never go through the uncomfortable season that you have to make changes. Uh, it, your desire to see something different has to be greater than your comfort level of being where you are. God will never override your free will. What I'm about to tell you this morning is going to be your choice and your choice alone. God will help you. He sent His Holy Spirit and He's sending you His Word right now, anointed to set the captives free. But you will not change one thing unless you decide to do it. There's one thing I want you to know today. It's that God's desire for you is to experience healing and freedom and deliverance. Jesus did not die so you could be halfway saved. Jesus did not die so you could be saved on Sunday and backslide every Monday. Jesus died to set the captive free, to bring sight to the blind and to let the lame walk. And if you are lame in your spirit, get up. You have victory. If you're blind in your spirit, open your peepers. You've got victory. And if you are one of these people that struggle to know that you're saved, to connect with the Holy Spirit, this sermon is for you. Because victory is yours. It was assured on Calvary. It's declared over your life in this sanctuary this morning. And if you want it, it's yours. If you want that, would you give the Lord a hand clap and then I'll dive in. I'm going to tell you something. I've been pastoring for over 20 years, and I've discovered that a lot of people struggle with the concepts that we're going to learn today. And for a lot of years, as a young Christian, I struggled with them too. I would read them, and I would tell you, this is why I told you that Paul said not just your mind, but your attitude has to change. Because I would tell you, oh, the Bible says. But even though I would quote the Bible, I wasn't necessarily agreeing with the Bible. I would tell you I agreed with it, but down on the inside, I was kind of like, I got this thing I'm holding on to, and I know what the Bible says about it, but how am I supposed to let go of it? For a lot of years, I was confused and by Scripture. There were certain Scriptures that would make me depressed. There were some Scriptures used to make me downright mad. I know y'all are sophisticated Christians, but down south where I'm from, down in Mercer County, down in McDowell County, West Virginia, that we get mad at God sometimes. I know y'all don't understand this, but sometimes the Lord would tell me to do some stuff I didn't want to do. Sometimes His Word would tell me I had to let go of things I wasn't quite done yet. 
I, he'd be trying to take the, 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 the anger out of me, and I was about ready to slap the taste out of somebody's mouth, and I was happy about it. See, sometimes it's just easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So sometimes I would just back up to God and be trying to act like I didn't know what his word said when he knew good and well I knew what his word said. And so he'd be trying to deal with me, and I'd be trying to tell somebody off, and I would be getting ready to tell them exactly how I feel and what would come out of my I felt like Balaam because I'd be standing up there trying to curse somebody and tell them what I felt, and I would say, Jesus loves you. Come to church on Sunday. And the reason that God deals with us is because he knows what these things do to us. And like a lot of people that reject these concepts and principles, I did so because I needed them worse than I needed what I was dealing with. See, I rejected these concepts. I would even criticize them. I would say, yeah, that's good for people like Mama, but I'm not that holy. That's my defense mechanism. I'm trying to protect my own dysfunction. It's easier to make excuses for sin than to deal with it. It's easier for you to sit there and criticize me so you can criticize the words that come out of my mouth than it is to go home and work on your marriage and to get on your knees and work on your attitude. I wish I had an amen in this church. See, what I had to learn how to do was to be vulnerable. What I had to learn to do was be broken enough to put my prejudices aside and accept the truth and deal with it in my life. The human heart has an amazing ability to reject what it needs and to cling to what's killing it. Oh, that is a sermon in and of itself right there. We just cringe and pull away from the scalpel that God is trying to use to bring healing to our lives. And we chase after stuff that is killing us. That's why Proverbs 4 and 23 tells it to us like this. And you're going to hear this verse a lot the rest of this sermon series. Guard the affections of your heart. Why? Because out of it, every area of your life is affected. He says, guard your heart. Whatever your heart's in love with will affect all of your life. Now, you, can't, you can't come to church and shout down the, 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 the harvest of sin that you reaped all week. That's not the way this works. Because every area of your life is affected by what your heart is in love with. So guard your heart. Probably the most difficult issue you will ever have to deal with is facing your own faulty or distorted belief system. Because for you, they're real. Even though they may not be completely true. You ever tried to tell a woman that she was beautiful, that she didn't believe it? You might as well knock your head against the wall. Because if it's not true to her, it's not true. If, she, if they won't believe that they're helping you, they're never going to be convinced of it. You can tell them every time that, that they come around that you appreciate them, but if they don't believe that you appreciate them, if they can't get it into their heart and into their belief system, and vice versa, if somebody thinks you're against them, if their belief system is that you're trying to do them harm, I don't care how much good you do in the world, you can break your neck trying to please them and never make it up to them because their belief system is faulty. So maybe it's time for us to face some hard realities. We need to readjust our mindsets. We need to replace the attitudes of our heart with truth. Usually when things go wrong, we find ourselves reacting in ways that are just as wrong as what happened to us. Can I help you a minute? Sometimes things that happen to you are horrendous and terrible and painful, but you make it worse. You complicate the issue because you do things that are not acceptable or healthy. 
You try to respond to bad things by being as bad as it is. And so you sink into things like depression and anxiety. You start getting overwhelmingly emotional to the point where people don't want to get, come around you. You suffer with addiction and anger and moodiness, fears and phobias and compulsions. Some of us do retail therapy. And so you got 9,000 articles of clothing in your closet with tags on them because every time you feel sad, you shop. Oh, it got quiet in this mortuary. Some of us have went through enormous debt and broken marriages. Some of us, every time somebody says something from a pulpit we don't agree with, instead of changing our attitude, we just get rebellious against their authority. Some of us suffer, and I say us, with health issues, food and weight issues. Some of us suffer from sexual perversions, and we answer pain with pain. And what we don't realize is it's a vicious cycle because the worst thing that happened to us becomes even worse because of how we respond to it. So I've come here this morning to help you have healthy responses to the things that happen to you. And I'm going to show you a diagram on the wall to help us understand. And we're just going to leave it up uh, for a, a, a period of time. There's a diagram that I'm going to put up on the wall. And I want you to imagine that this tree represents your life and your personality. This tree is you. Welcome to Promise of Victory. You're a pretty good-looking tree. You got leaves and apples. I remember working in Grandma's Orchard, and I remember a healthy-looking tree that would look a lot like this. Now, I want you to pay attention. I'm going to go through some things. The fruit of this tree represents what everybody likes or dislikes about you. It's your character. It's your actions. It's your behavior. That's the fruit. You know what creates fruit on an apple tree? Something called buds. Right before springtime, uh, the, the, the leaves will start to produce these buds. And the buds will start to grow and mature, and eventually the buds will spring open into flowers, and then the flowers will become fruit, whether it's a pear, whether it's an apple, whatever it is. But those buds are what produce the apple. Somebody say Amen. So, so the buds of the tree represent your feelings, your emotions. In other words, buds produce apples. Feelings and emotions produce actions and behavior. But where does the buds get its strength from? Something called the branches. Now the branches of a tree produce the buds, and the buds produce the fruit. In your life, the branches is your thinking, your mindset. So your mindset produces your feelings and your emotions. Your feelings and your emotions produces your character, your actions, and your behavior. Are you following me? So where does the branches come from? Well, the branches come from something called the trunk of the tree. Now, the trunk of the tree produces the branches, and the branches produces the buds, and the buds produce the fruit. In your life, the trunk represents your beliefs and your conclusions about life. Oh, we're really getting serious now. Which means... Your belief system produces the branches, your thinking. Your thinking produces your emotions. And whether you like it or not, your character is formed out of your emotions. Why do you think people are always making an excuse for the way they are? Oh, I'm just hot-headed because I'm Irish. What does that even mean? If you go over to Ireland and it's just a bunch of fistfights? 
I mean, you, I mean, you are downgrading an entire nationality of people just because you can't keep it together. I've heard people do that their whole, their, their whole life. Say, well, I'm just, I'm just short-tempered because I'm Latino. So everybody in South America is just down there beating every, each other up. No, you're making excuses for your own emotional distresses by saying it's not my fault. It's in my DNA. No, it's not in your DNA. It's not. It's not in your DNA. It's from your beliefs. The trunk of the tree is your beliefs. Your beliefs feed the buds, your feelings and emotions. And out of your feelings, guard your heart. Because out of it, everything is affected. Where's the trunk get its, get its strength? From the roots. Now the roots of the tree produce the trunk, and the trunk produces the branch, and the branch produces the bud, and the bud produces the fruit. Your roots represent everything that's above it. This is your mind, your assumptions, your prejudices. Your roots produce your conclusions about life. Your conclusions about life change your self-talk and your thinking. And your thinking produces your feelings and your emotions, and your feelings and your emotions produce the fruit. And last but not least, where does the, where does the roots get its strength from? The soil. I remember when I was in granddaddy's orchard, he would go out every spring and test the soil. I thought dirt was dirt. An eight-year-old boy just plays in the dirt. I had to dig taters. Y'all don't know what that means, but from in McDowell County, we dug taters. And I knew that when tater digging time came along, I wasn't a big fan of dirt. The rest of the year, I liked to play in it. Granddaddy would go out there and he would take little scoops of his dirt. He'd take it down to the farm and fleet store. And down there they would test the soil. He was testing it for like acidity and things. Because the fruit all the way up on the branches. All the way, we had apple trees that were 40 feet tall. And the 40th foot of that apple tree, that fruit was affected by the soil. Y'all missed it. I, I preached all day just to get right there. The 40th foot fruit was affected by six foot deep soil. And you on the outside only see the fruit. You only recognize the fruit. When you talk about the apple tree, you say it produces great fruit. Look how shiny those apples are. Look how sweet those apples are. Oh, she is a sweet thing. Look how sweet she is. Look how pretty they are. Look how talented the preacher is. Look how good of a wife she is. Look how good of a father he is. You're measuring the fruit. But what you're not measuring and what nobody pays attention to is it has to start Start with good soil. The soil feeds the roots. The roots feed the trunk. The trunk feed the branches. The branches produce the buds. And the buds produce the fruit. And I have seen people not take care of where they're planted. And where you're planted produces the soil that feeds your life. Today I want to get to the root. I want to get to the heart of who you are and what makes you behave the way you do. I'm already at 27 minutes. Can I keep going? 
Because I want to identify the number one mistake with people who try to get transformed and sanctified. Sanctification is an old, is an old word we used to throw around all the time in the church. We said we believed in it, we just didn't live like it. But sanctification is God's will for his people. He wants us to be sanctified, which means to be set apart for his use. But, but you can't just dress the part. You got to have the right soil that's feeding the right trunk, that's feeding the right branch. Y'all got, you, you understand where the illustration came from now. I want to I identify the number one mistake that people make when they try to become sanctified or when they try to change their life. When people want to change their habits or their attitude, they deal with the fruit. They try to change their behavior. They either try to stop doing something or they try to start doing something. Oh, I'm going to stop eating donuts and I'm going to start riding my bicycle. And that'll work for a couple of weeks. And then you'll come in late one Sunday with your peepers not quite all the way open and somebody say, hey, there's coffee in the... Break. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go over here to the crown, get me some coffee. And when you're in there, there's Ron Hall standing there smiling and bebopping around. And he says, hey, we got some donuts. No, nah, I better not. And before you know it, you're on your sixth donut. Church is about to start. Now you're on a carb high. You come down here. You're trying to put, you're belching. You got, I ain't ate like that in a long time. Lord Jesus, help me. And what happened? You was doing real good changing that fruit. But because you never changed the root. Somebody used to come and sit in the pastor's office and look across and say, I want to save my marriage. All right, do you want to say? Because I believe, and this is what I used to tell them all the time, I believe the two of you working together with God can change a marriage. But what they really wanted was me to anoint them with oil, lay hands on them, both of them fall out in the Holy Ghost, and they get up and he would act like she wanted him to act. She would act like he wanted her to act. That's really what they wanted. They did not want to hear what I was going to tell them, which is you're going to have to go home and work on this. Oh, you're going to have to suck it up, buttercup. When he says something angry, you can't act back. When he comes home late, wears his muddy boots through the house, bite your lip, ask him if there's anything wrong, just clean up the mess. This is not a hill you want to die on. These are the kind of things that cause us to change root systems. We want to just stop producing that kind of fruit and start producing another kind. The problem is, eventually the root system will produce what's down. Whatever is down inside of you is eventually going to come up out of you. So in order to change your attitude and your actions and your behavior and your mindsets, you have to get to the root. Most Christians stop at the fruit and never go any deeper. But if you want permanent, honest, biblical change, you've got to get to the root of this. So how do you get to your belief systems? How do you change your mind? Some of you have been saying, well, I've been acting like this for 65 years. Today's as great a day as any to change your ways. So your affliction might stop if you change your fruit, but you have to get to the root of it. The root issue has to change well, what will happen is that fruit will sprout up in other areas of your life. It'll go underground for a while, 
But that anger's coming back. You used to be angry at your husband. Now you're angry at the preacher because he told you to be sweet to the husband. So now you're sweet to the husband, but you are barracuda to everybody else. And now it's, it's glorious at home, but every time you come to the store, even the dogs run and hide. So I'm going to show you something. Let's cover the first questions. How do I get to the root? The first thing you have to realize is that you have to realize something is not right. You're not coping. You feel like a failure. You're having nightmares. You have panic attacks, depression, addiction, compulsions. You are constantly suspicious. You're a negative person. You're angry. You're always flirting with other people. Something's wrong. You did not learn this from Christ. You're not acting holy and you're not acting uh, moral. Listen to this truth. Healthy, well-adjusted habits, habits do not happen by chance. And neither do rebellious ones. Hear me, you can fall into chaos, but you have to be deliberate to get out of it. You can be born into chaos. You can fall into chaos. You can stumble into chaos, but you've got to be deliberate to get out of it. So I'm going to talk to you about the fruit of chaos. Are you ready? It's a long list, and it's, i got to go quick. Number one, the fruits of chaos. How do I know if my mind's wrong? Pastor, how, what are the signs that my fruit is tainted? Well, I'm glad you asked. Addiction. Addiction. I thought I might get one amen right there. Addiction's common in Christianity. You don't think it is? You think that everybody gets saved, just gets broke free? Can, you, can I tell you that learning that addictions are simply the fruit of an emotional dysfunction that needs traced and faced and replaced. That's all an addiction is. You, you need to ask yourself, if you have any kind of addiction, here's the number one question. What comfort am I getting from this addiction that I need to replace with something better? Addictions. Number two, something that they taught me in college when I was taking my degree for counseling, emotional-based reasoning. Emotional-based reasoning. They call it EBR for short. It's really counterfeit discernment. You know what it is? It's called jumping to conclusions. Uh-huh. Anticipating the reaction or actions of other people. Uh, not understanding that although your emotions may, may be real, they may not be true. Uh, can I help you? Do you love me? Do you want the truth? Because this one's going to hurt a little bit. If you're the kind of person that says things like this, well, I just think it should be like this. That is emotional-based reasoning. Did you hear what you just said? I think. People who love Jesus and are supposed to be dead to Christ sure do have a lot of opinions. They ain't got no Bible for it, just their own prejudices. They say stuff like, well, I just can't agree with a preacher not wearing a suit and tie. I can't agree. So that makes you what? Disagreeable. I just can't agree with them women wearing pants to church. I just can't agree with people who don't discipline their children. I just can't. I think a pastor ought to dress this way. I don't think it's right that these kids are doing this. Be careful because that's the same kind of thinking that other people say, I don't think you should marry somebody that don't have the same skin color as you. Prejudice is prejudiced. And if you ain't got no Bible for it, you might want to keep it to yourself. Because it doesn't matter what color the prejudice comes in, prejudice is your emotional-based reasoning. And if you don't have no Bible to back it up, you better be careful with it. 
Here's number three, and this is going to hit even harder. Anger and moodiness. This is another common ailment. We don't talk about this in the church. Oh, pastors don't preach on moodiness. All the women get mad at him. See, I just made you all mad with just one statement. Y'all was with me. Y'all was shouting me down. And now I have lost half the women in this room with one statement. Do you realize that the root of anger is sometimes suppressed rage and bitterness at what has happened to you? The pain caused to me by another person comes out in the same form that it went in. I dispense it in the same way it was dosed to me. Does that sound like Jesus? Or should we be forgiving the other person? Should we be forgiving ourselves? Hey, how about forgiving God? Because believe it or not, some of us sit here with a little bit of attitude toward God because mama died. We prayed and somebody died. We prayed and they foreclosed on the house. We prayed and I lost the job anyway. And we got just a little bit of attitude with God. But can I tell you that you can heal yourself if you'll forgive them, forgive yourself, and forgive God, and you will begin the road to freedom. Anger is simply the inability of you to communicate or negotiate properly. You did not learn the skill as a child to tell somebody how you felt. So everything comes out and is an emotional volcano. I know it because I lived it. I was taught that anger is the way you show people how you feel. And I've had to work on it my entire adult life. Because I was taught as a child that anger is an appropriate response to pain. But what we have to realize is that we're not just coping. We are trying to be Christian. We're not just trying to stagger through life. We're trying to be holy. We're trying to give people an image of who Christ is. And Christ didn't walk around whipping everybody. You see, sometimes we carry baggage around with us. You know what Paul called it? Paul said it was a body of death. He said, oh, body of death, how can I get away from you? Because his baggage was weighing him down. Romans chapter 7. I'm just going to jump around a little bit. Romans chapter 7 verse 15. Paul says, I don't understand what I do. Does anybody relate with that? Do any of you, after a long hard day, you look back and say, I thought I saved. I mean, I felt like I saved when I got up this morning and did my morning prayers. But I'm getting ready to go to bed tonight. And I'm like, Lord, forgive me. (laughs) This was a bad day. (laughs) Can I have a redo? That's what Paul's saying. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, that's not the stuff I do. But what I hate, what I said I wouldn't do anymore, what I swore to God I was was done with, that's what I do. Verse 20, he says, now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it. Well, Paul didn't have no sin. He wrote the Bible. You mean to tell me that preacher Paul, apostle Paul, pastor Paul has sin? And he's admitting it? I mean, he wrote it down for posterity. He said, if I, don't, if I do what I don't want to do, it's not really me that's doing it. It's the sin in me that's alive. Some of y'all act like y'all walk around with wings sprouting out your back and halos on your head 
Oh, I don't have no sin. You a lie. Now we know what your sin is. Pride and lying. Even Paul admitted that when I do this stuff and you see the fruit of me doing what I don't want to do, that's not me. It's the sin that I haven't worked out of me yet. Now, I'm not happy about it. Paul will tell us later, I'm still working on it. I'm still trying to get I'm not just accepting it. But I want you to realize I ain't perfect. That, that there's something on the inside of me. And if it's on the inside of me, it's, it's in you too. And then he says in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, quick history lesson. In Paul's day, if somebody was convicted of a crime of murder, and the Romans were so cruel, they would take that dead body, strap it to the convict's back, and he had to live out his days with that dead, decomposing body strapped to him. And you know what happens? When decomposing flesh is strapped to healthy flesh, the healthy flesh becomes infected and eventually becomes decomposing itself. And that's what Paul's image is here. He's saying, I got this body of death strapped to me. And when I get up out of bed in the morning, it's with me. When I go to church, it's with Y'all ain't going to help me there. When I go to the family reunion, it's with me. When I go down to work, it's with me. When I lay down at night, I say, God, protect me and keep my heart safe and search my heart that there be no wicked way in me. And I want to do right, but I've realized that I've got this body of death that is strapped to me morning, noon, and night. And I'm holy, and I speak in tongues, and I lay hands on the sick, and they recover. And I love the Lord, and I love His church and I love my pastor and I love my wife but I've got this issue that's on side and there ain't no use in ignoring it because when I ignore it I won't get to the root of it y'all ain't gonna help me by ignoring it and acting like I'm holy where I've got this issue doesn't solve it what I have to do is dig down into the soil and find out what is feeding this mess so your soil feeds your roots your roots feed your trunk your trunk feed your, your branches, your branches feed your buds, and your buds become your fruit. What is the soil? How does sin end up in the life of a Christian? How does sin end up in, in the home of an apostle? How does sin end up in the Bible testimony of the apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? How does sin end up here? Don't raise your hands, but have you ever done something since you came to know Christ that shocked you? Since you got saved, have you ever just shook your head and said, how did I do? I thought I was better than that. I didn't think I had that in me. I've done it. I didn't think I had that in me. Apostle Paul says, it's in you because it's in your soil. Your soil is your environment. Where are you planted I may be your preacher but you have many teachers you have many counselors you may come here on Sunday to get your Jesus fix and to get infused with a Holy Ghost injection but during the week where are you planted what's the soil feeding you I got saved I quit going to bars hear me just look hear me out because I couldn't be around it I could not trust myself 
around it. If I wanted to be with Jesus, I wasn't going witnessing down at the bar. There's plenty of sinners everywhere else. I don't have to. I've heard that excuse my whole Christian. Oh, I'm just in there witnessing. You realize there's sinners in other places, right? I don't have to put myself in that situation to find me some sinners to witness to. No, your problem is you want to be planted in a dangerous environment. You didn't learn this from Jesus, Paul said. You did not so learn the mind of Christ. You have not yet taken yourself out of a dangerous environment and deposited yourself into a healthy one because I'm going to tell you the more healthy soil that feeds your roots, the better your fruit. And you won't have to fight. Christians, hear me. It's not normal for you to get up every Monday and beg God to save you again. You ought to walk in victory. Jesus died once and for all. Your sins are forever under the blood of Christ. That means you should not, like a dog, return to your vomit. You shouldn't keep going back. And look, I know some of you are sitting there saying, Pastor, you just said everybody's got sin. That's right. I invent some new ones. But I don't keep going back to the other ones all the time. I'm still working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm still working through this thing. I'm still trying to eliminate the flesh. But trust me, once I've got victory, I don't go back. Some of us keep transplanting ourselves into unhealthy soil and wonder why our fruit is tainted. I knew I wasn't getting a whole lot of amens right there. This means we have to drill down and address some things. Echoes from your past. When, you're, when, a, when there's a person in your life that makes you feel a certain kind of way, you have to realize that there's an echo from your past and deal with it. Negative self-talk. You tell yourself things you would never let somebody else tell somebody you loved. Don't you talk to yourself any way that you wouldn't talk to somebody else. I hear people say all the time, I'm so stupid. Stop saying that. Because, listen, you're my friend. I don't want you to talk about my friend that way. You wouldn't stand back and let nobody else talk about your friend like that. Well, you're my friend. I don't want to hear you talk about you like that. Don't say you're ugly. Don't say, oh, I'm just so fat, nobody likes me. Don't say things like that because that thought pattern gets in your life and comes out in your fruit. You ever notice how many times when you talk about yourself, you use the words you and I and me? And usually you and I means it's because somebody else said it to you and you're taking it on. Your words might not be saying the things that other people have said to you, but remember... Your words matter. False connections in your life. The most common is when people connect correction with rejection or disappointment with failure. If I can't correct you, I can't pastor you. If I can't tell you when I see danger in your life and warn you that I'm not your teacher, I'm not, your, I'm not the person that I thought I was in your life because some people in the world today, as soon as you correct them, they run. They don't want anybody to tell them that they're wrong. Well, that's because they have false connections. They believe that if, I, if you correct me, you're rejecting me. They don't realize when you correct me, it's a sign you love me. There's another one that you have to deal with, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. Many of us, if not all of us, have dealt with one of these or more than one of these. Unbearable feelings. 
There are people in this room that love Jesus, but you run from emotions. You don't want to disappoint other people, so you don't try. You don't like criticism, you shut down. You give people the silent treatment. You won't make new friends because you're afraid of losing them. And if you avoid these kind, you're afraid, you're living in constant fear, you need to deal with it. Family mottos. Here's one I wish that I would have learned a long time ago. Did you know that most families have a motto? It's a good idea for you to know what yours is. My family motto was, don't make dad mad. Because bad things happened when dad got mad. Some family mottos are, children should be seen and not heard. Some family mottos is, we don't talk about that. Just keep the peace. Meanwhile, children are being molested. And we don't tell nobody because we don't want somebody to think bad of our family. You need to deal with that. Get to the root of it because the devil will use that the rest of your life to keep you separated from the goodness of your heavenly father because of how skunky your earthly... Y'all not going to help me right there. Divorced parents, broken families, step families. Do you know who writes stories of wicked stepmothers? Adults who carry emotional baggage. Now, why would it be a wicked stepmother? How come it wasn't just a wicked mother? Because there's a correlation between when families get broken up, there's a stigma attached to it. You need to dig, drill down and get to the root of that. Life-defining moments. What shaped you when you were vulnerable? There's survival kits that you established. Some of you are people pleasers. It will get you in trouble. You will end up in situations that you do not need to be in. You're, you'll get transplanted into deadly soil by trying to keep people happy. Can I tell you that your list of people that you should be pleasing ought to be about this long? It ought to be God and whoever you are married to, and that is it. Because it's a full-time job keeping my Heavenly Father and that woman satisfied, and everybody else can take a number. Some people run away from pressure. They blame shift. They manipulate. They're angry. They're control addicts. They, they, comfort, they go to comforting addictions. Listen, comforting addictions are just as deadly as bad ones. Can I tell you that overeating has killed more people than heroin and opiates? I love comfort food. Stress the pastor out. He'll eat some fried chicken until Jesus comes. Cakes, cookies, pies. Mm. We don't preach on gluttony in the church, especially Pentecostal churches. Are you out of your mind? Look around. There ain't no reason for us to preach on gluttony. We're all stalwarts of health. Most of, most of the calls, I'm praying for stuff. For Jesus to heal you that you did to yourself. Oh, Pastor, my blood pressure's too high. No wonder you got seven jobs and you eat 14 meals a day. We do it to ourselves. But it's an acceptable problem in the church. We don't address it. Oh, if you was shacked up with somebody, boy, we'd sure pull you to the side. But that third helping of beans, we don't say nothing to you. You know how quiet it got in here? Preacher starts talking about food. Ah, not me. I don't even say nothing. Amen, Pastor. Because you know it's right. 
But we don't like to talk about it. This is what I'm talking about. These, I'm better than this. I'm better than where I am, but because I'm not willing to make the hard choice of change, I stay where I am, keep asking God to change it instead of me changing me. A lot of us are carrying around mistaken beliefs from childhood. Do you realize that children are excellent recorders of what happened, but poor interpreters? That means they remember every word mom and dad said, but they blame themselves for it. They think it's their fault mom and dad couldn't stay together. They, they, if, I, if I hadn't been such a troubled child, mom and daddy wouldn't got divorced. And they blame themselves because they remember everything, but they're poor interpreters of the reason behind it. So I've lifted the band-aid and I've got to the root of it. There's one more question i got to answer before I let you go, and I know I'm going long. Pastor, how can I find healing and freedom from these things? First thing you have to do is find a mirror. And you're going to have to face the reality that what is in your mind has resulted in what is in your life. What is in your soil has fed your mind. Don't ignore what the Holy Ghost shows you. Your thinking has produced the life that you have. Your environment has trained your thinking. Guard your heart, because out of it, everything in your life is affected. Can I, can I just tell you, because I see some crazy, crazy stuff. Social media has given me way too much access to you. Because you're crazy, you used to just be shut up behind your doors. Now I see it in my house. Now you put your crazy on there for me, me and all your friends to see. Listen, stop going to amateurs for advice. If you needed brain surgery, would you just put it on Facebook? Hey, can somebody come over to my house and give me a lobotomy? So stop going to Facebook and asking people for marriage advice. They're amateurs. Especially the ones that are on their fourth marriage. And they're going to try to help you. Stop going to amateurs for advice. There is an expert opinion. Most of you hold it in your lap or it's on your phone. It's called the Word of God. And if you've got a question, the solution is in there. And we need to guard our hearts, but some of us need to learn how to guard our ears as well. And stop listening because that soil you're planted in is leading you astray. I know they're your friend, your buddy, their pal. I know y'all go way back. That's my dog. But if they're not heading toward the cross, they're taking you the wrong direction. If their advice does not line up with his advice, there's only one voice that matters in your life. Learn how to feed your spirit. Sometimes all you need is one rhema word. One word from God can dispel all the darkness that's been surrounding you. Our incorrect worldviews will only change when we, when we address them, when we trace them, when we face them and replace them. And what do we replace it with? If I got toxic soil feeding me, I got to replace it with the Word of God. What does God say about this? Life and death is in the power of the spoken Word, and what comes out of my mouth needs to be what comes out of His mouth.
Uh-huh. I want to finish by saying this. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe you can change. I don't care how long you've been in this way. I don't care how long you have had this mindset. I believe you can change. And the reason I believe in that you can do it is because I've done it. I've had unhealthy relationships. And it's not just with people. You know you can have an unhealthy relationship with Gus's goodies. I had to break up with him. I went and bought a doc, box a dozen and I just said, hey, it's not you, it's me. I love you. You're always going to be part of my life. I wish things were different. But I got to go without you. Unless you can find a way to come at me with no calories and zero carbs, we're going to have to go our separate ways. And there was some tears. Mine, not theirs. Don't us, don't cry. No hard feelings. I'm glad you're doing well. I was afraid that they'd shut down without my business. A large part of my paycheck was spent right there. I thought maybe, you know, I kept I kept the relationship. Because you'll make excuses for relationship. So every time I drive by, I'd say, hey, I'm supporting small business. They need my money. I like supporting small business. You make excuses to keep relationships together. I'm stressed out. I need a dozen. It started out as one donut. It's amazing how if you plant yourself in the wrong soil, you can talk yourself into anything. And even though it's been months now since I had anything like that, don't you know every time I leave this church and I go down one block and down a block and I'm sitting there at that red light and it's across the street, there's an old friend, somebody I used to know, right there. And it'd be so easy because I'm glad I traded trucks because that tundra I had, it would automatically pull into that parking lot. Did you know trucks would do that? You could train them to pull into this, and my truck would just veer right in there. And then I'd be like, well, I'm here. I might as well go do something. I got a new truck, got a new lease on life, and I'm just avoiding that place. I ain't saying I ain't going to never have another Gus's life ain't worth living if I can't have a donut from time to time but I had an unhealthy relationship I was planted in the wrong soil and I would make justification for it. I'm stressed I'm happy I'm somewhere in between before I know I'm just eating it all the time and I can make an excuse for it at any time you can have an unhealthy relationship with people you can be in a marriage and be completely out of order some of you got unhealthy relationships with your children some of you have unhealthy relationships with your parents. Some of you have codependent relationships you don't even realize that you're being taken advantage of and being used and you resent them, but you don't have the backbone to tell them no. It's unhealthy. You're planting in the wrong soil and eventually that fruit's coming out somewhere. You can suppress it, you can hide it, but eventually, eventually, it's coming out. You have got to convince yourself I'm better than this. God did not create me for this. I'm better than where I am right now.
Paul writes in Ephesians, uh, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he uses a word that we don't use in, in America anymore because we're afraid of offending somebody. He said, being confident of this very thing. We don't use that word confident anymore because we don't want to make people feel like that they should feel less than. But Paul wasn't afraid of it. He said, I'm confident of this very thing. I'm confident. God started something, and God's going to finish something. I'm better than this. Don't dance on my grave. Don't, make, don't celebrate because I've fallen down. Because pro I promise you this, God, I'm better than this. I know I made some mistakes. I may, I may have backslid. I know I may not have had the faith I should have had. I may have spouted off the mouth and said some stuff I shouldn't have said. But I promise you, I'm better than this. And I will pick myself up because God started a thing in me and He's going to finish a thing in me. It ain't about who I am. It's about whose I am. And I'm confident. I'm confident. I'm confident. I've come this morning to bring confidence back to the house of God. I want you confident. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm confident. Some of you are sitting here and you think you're saved, but you've never been confident you're saved. You've never been confident that when you pray, God hears your prayers. You've never been confident that anybody in your life really loves you. I've come to bring confidence into that room this morning. Confident. God started it. God's going to finish it. You've just got to find the right soil to plant yourself. Do you realize that the apple tree does not try to produce fruit? It happens by nature. You put it in the right environment, you give it enough sunlight, you give it enough water, and fruit is a natural process of growth. And your fruit is a natural process, good or bad, of your growth. You want to be confident that you're on the right path? Stand to your feet this morning all over this room. Being confident of this very thing, I'm better than this. I, I, I probably just need you to close your eyes because you're afraid somebody's going to look at you. Every person in this room right now that lacks the confidence that you can change. You lack the confidence that you got the Holy Ghost. You lack the confidence that you can have healthy relationships. You lack the confidence that when you pray, heaven hears you. You lack the confidence that salvation was won on Calvary and nothing you can do to get away from the love of God. The lies have told you that you're unlovable. The lies have told you that nobody cares. The lies have told you that none of this stuff applies to you. I want you to leave here confident this morning. My prayers move heaven. I'm confident. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm confident. I am lovable because before I was born, Jesus died for me because He loved me. I'm confident. If you need prayer for that this morning, you don't want to leave here feeling wishy-washy. Why don't you come up to this altar?
I want confidence from my marriage. I want confidence to raise these children in a godly environment. I want confidence that when I get down on my face to pray, I know God hears me. If that's you, won't you come up to this altar? I, 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 Pastor, I need confidence. I've never really been confident in my walk with Christ. I've never really had the confidence that He who started something in me is going to finish it in me. If that's you, come up here. I want to lay hands on you. Because there's nobody in this room more special than you are right now. Angels are standing still and heaven is recognizing that one of his children is hurting. One of his children has suffered long enough not knowing that they are who God says they are. Oh, Holy Ghost.